In our breakout and best-selling book, Looking for Angels, A Guide to Understanding and Connecting with Angels, Dr. Scott Guerin and I share how you can communicate with angels, understand signs from the universe and these celestial beings, feel at peace knowing you are always connected to source, and much more. Get your copy today at lookingforangelsbook.com, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or your local bookstore. And now you can even get the audio version narrated by me and Scott through Amazon, Audible, and iTunes. Hi, all. Nicole here. This podcast is intended to inspire you on your personal spiritual journey to inner peace. I am not a psychologist or a medical doctor and do not offer any professional health or medical advice. This applies to the podcast guests and or co-hosts. If you are suffering from a psychological or medical condition, please seek help from a qualified health professional. You are listening to A Psychic Story, a podcast that shares behind-the-scenes insights of people who lead supernatural lives among the ordinary. And I'm your host, Nicole Bigley. Join me every Wednesday as I dispel the myths behind magic and lore. Welcome to A Psychic Story. Mysticism. Hello, Psychic listeners. Welcome to another episode of A Psychic Story. For this episode, I am thrilled. Finally have on Philip Attar. Philip is a somatic meditation guide and spiritual mentor. His practice was founded in 2015 after transforming his own life from dis-ease into ease. The stresses of his career as a fashion brand creative director, followed by the death of his mother-in-law as well as a divorce, all within the course of two years took a toll on him and he had some medical conditions. And I am extremely excited to have him on because we are here to talk about many, many things, but ultimately have him share his story and talk about a little bit what is reality. So welcome to A Psychic Story. Awesome. Thank you, Nicole, for having me. I really appreciate it. Excited to be here. Finally, I know it took us a little minute, but here we are. (laughs) Well, you know, all divine timing for sure. Now, I would love to hand it over to you and just wherever you feel led to start about where really your spiritual growth and journey began. And I know I talked about it a little bit in that intro, but how did that unfold for you and what got you on track to doing what you do now? Yeah, that's the big, broad question. Where did my spiritual journey begin? I'd say, you know, I've been into this kind of work and these modalities in general since I was a kid. I did grow up with Kung Fu, Qigong, and then in that there's energy work in Shaolin Kung Fu. It's really, you know, when I was looking at even martial arts, I have family that's more into like jujitsu and other more intense fighting modalities. Um, Part of my family even manages fighters. So that's the kind of how I grew up with that influence. And then I was like the skinnier kid that wanted to meditate. And I'm like, okay, maybe what martial art can I get into that may not be able, not that it can't, but it's not necessarily about breaking someone's entire neck into. There's a more beautiful, fluid energy movement with Kung Fu and Shaolin Kung Fu in particular. So I really aligned with that. Started doing a little bit Qigong breathing techniques when I was young. It faded after a while, you know, you grow up and you kind of outgrow these things after maybe 10 or 15 years of of studying it intensively. And then long story short, fast forward to my 30s, 
I built up a, a really successful career in New York City for about 18 years or so in fashion and creative direction, branding, product design, worked with all of the big brands globally, literally, especially like high-end fashion brands, retail stores, doing retail design, digital animation, advertising for print, street, all this stuff, video, and worked on some really cool projects, amazing, amazing projects. But a lot of that identity was built off of what I discovered later was a lot of insecurity in school. A lot of, I find that in fashion in general, like fashion's built off of their insecurity. I say mine, like even our insecurities. It's a shell. It's a shell. Yeah. And it's interesting because you need the conditioning of the shell to then propel a creation in that direction. So the insecurity does drive beautiful fashion. There's beautiful clothing and expression being created because people want to express their inner peacock. I'm like, awesome. In that spectrum, it's great. On the other hand, I really, I remember there was a fork in the road when I was in high school where the counselors were like, okay, what do you want to do? And there was three things. There was psychology. And at the time, I didn't know why I was interested in it. Uh, my dad used to read me Nietzsche and Carl Jung when I was a kid before my parents got divorced when I was six. And he was a very violent man. So I, I, there was a lot of contradiction. Like he was schizophrenic, literally like that homeless schizophrenic at times on the street yelling at everyone. So when I thought about psychology, I just thought it was too intense given my violent childhood. So I was like, okay, scratch that. And I'll get back to that later because obviously now it's kind of the work I do. Then there was architecture and then there was like design, product, or fashion. I decided to go into architecture. I thought I should go into that. Long story short, I ended up just, I was disillusioned with the kind of reality, even, you know, the, the basis of this conversation of what school was based on. I just started to see through the veil of the illusion of school, the kind of robot they want you to be, that there's only one solution for everything. You have to do what the textbook says. And I was a real out-of-the-box thinker. I wouldn't agree with anything the teacher said, even though I got some of the best grades in the school. And I, I guess I was even, to my own horn, was that smart. Was I was like, screw it, then why do I need it? I just failed my last year of high school. And my teachers were like, after getting over 90, 95% in school every year, I failed the last year. They were shocked. They were like, what's going on? You doing drugs? What's happening? What's going on? I'm like, I just don't care. <laughs> this is all a fallacy. It's not real. <laughs> I kind of started going into that thing of what we all talk all about design, now. Yeah. It's all an illusion. It's like, this is just <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, that's all right. I don't know if I could swear here. But yeah, like I was like, it's complete BS. I just didn't agree with their principles. I started reading Carlos Castaneda at the time and just started diving into a little bit of this stuff. And I pretty much just told them, I just don't believe in it. I don't think it's, it's worth it. I don't think it's necessary. They're like, you won't do well in life if you don't finish school and go to university. I'm like, I don't agree with that. They decided to pass me just because I was such a good student overall. And they gave me a grade to get maybe not into architecture school because you still needed something good, but a good, decent creative school. They're like, pick one. We'll get you in. <laughs> We're going to help you here. We're going to help yeah. you get in. We don't want you to be a complete derelict. We think it's just a, a glitch. I'm like, okay. I had a friend going into fashion. I'm like, sounds easy enough. Let's do that. Sounds cool. <laughs> sounds cool. <laughs> and a lot of that was built off my insecurities and just wanting to be popular, wanting to be seen, growing up an only child that didn't have an identity. I was Muslim, Roman Catholic, Iraqi, Filipino, growing up in Canada. My gosh, you had a lot going on there. Oh, yeah. Like in a European neighborhood, everyone was like Italian or Portuguese. And I'm like, like who am I? They're like, oh, well, they'd call me Paki. And I'm like, I'm not even Pakistani. Get it right. <laughs> and, um, you know, growing up with that, it was really like weird. So I tried to... Um, 
assimilate. You know, I saw that the kids who did well were popular, dressed well. I'm like, that's easy. Go to the store, buy some clothing, then take off the glasses, got some contact lenses. Then I was popular. That led me into essentially an 18 career in fashion where I ended up working for Vogue and magazines like that and Interview Magazine and Coach and Louis Vuitton and all these ads. And then it just, I built a successful career off of it. But like any disease, that disease, if you don't deal with the trauma and growing up with that schizophrenic father that kind of drove me in that direction. And my mother too, who's, my mother's amazing. She's a gorgeous human, but single working mother. We were on like, my father was on welfare. We were in government housing, didn't have a bedroom till I was 14. Like immigrant mother, she like worked her ass off just to make sure there was food on the table. I guess this is a medium story, not a long story short anymore. But at that time, it was like, I just felt lost, even though I had a successful career in fashion. I, I just felt empty. It's pretty cliche. I literally, I remember working, doing a I've gig. I've gone through it. I know what you mean. <laughs> yeah. We've all, it's the cliche story of being like, I had the money, the cars, the gorgeous wife. I had the, the house, lived in Connecticut, West Village apartment, all the things, custom motorcycles, blah, 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 all the suits. And I just was angry all the time. I was the angry art director and creative director where my staff hated me. They were like, you're an asshole. I remember they like the days they would call me that. And you're like, I don't care, but you do care. Yeah. I was like, well, just get it done. And then you go home, you're like, open a bottle of whiskey and think everything's fine, right? Everything was just, it kind of came to a halt in 2010 when it, all the violence in my life started to manifest as me just being really angry all the time. My wife and I just constantly got into fights and we were both really angry. She also came from a, like a lot of trauma. She was a, a Cambodian refugee. So the, her first three years of life was in war with machine guns everywhere. So like we were the perfect trauma bond, if that makes sense. And um, my mother-in-law died around that time too. We went ballistic. And then the whole point of that story is that I just developed Graves' disease. My eyes literally started popping out of my eye sockets about six, seven millimeters. And my left eye just settled on the ground. My right eye started looking at the sky. And I just felt like a freak. And I had to stop working for three years. Well, maybe not three, like two or so. So, yeah, that's kind of how I found myself at that time, just really having to dig deeper. And I didn't want to do any of the medical surgeries. I didn't agree with the doctors. Everything was like a Frankenstein experiment. They're like, let's take out your thyroid and give you Synthroid pills for the rest of your life. Pills to manage my hormones for the rest of my life. They're like, yeah, we do that. But what if I miss a pill? What if I can't get a pill? I can't regulate it myself. They're like, no, you can't. We have to take out your thyroid. I'm like, I don't believe you. That doesn't make sense. And my endocrinologist, I won't name any names, said at the time she triggered the f out of me. She was like, you know, if your hormones are imbalanced, if we don't take it out, it won't be balanced again. Then the pills will help you. I'm like, if they're imbalanced, why can't I just rebalance them? Mm -hmm. She's like, no, you can't do that. And I remembered my Qigong. I remember sitting in the doctor's office that day. Oh my God, how did I forget about all this energy work? Yeah, you can. I believe you can. She's like, no, you can't. You're going to go blind, Phil. No, I don't think so. Told her to f off. Said, I'm not paying all these bills. I'm not doing that. It's like 17 grand a month. No way. Oh my gosh. I was already in debt, 80, 90 grand from the whole medical experience going through it for a year. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, no way. And frankly, I couldn't afford it. So I was like, forget it. They wanted to tie knots in my eye muscles to pull the eye back cut out my thyroid, do some arranging around the bones in my eyes to resettle the eye sockets. And I'm like, you're all crazy. And they just probably wanted to see if it would work. Like you said, a Frankenstein experiment a little bit. Yeah. They probably truly didn't know what was going to happen. Like, well, we could try this and let's see. Yeah. And here all the time you're listening to your own inner self and guidance. 
Exactly. And they, I find that frankly a lot, you know, with Western allopathic, that kind of medicine where it's like just based on drugs and surgery and they're not finding or helping you get to the core. Not, not once did she ask about where is this potentially coming from, emotional challenges, stress, its impact on the DNA. And I started reading about it then and there wasn't as much information in 2010 as there is now. Even on social media, I find there to be a lot of information, whether you can find the real stuff or not, of course, it's the question. But wellness is a lot more still popularized now, especially with some new data and proof. But at the time, I just was like, no way. So I started diving back into deep states of breathing and meditation. And I essentially went into what I now kind of known as a somatic surrender. Just if I'm in a state of dis-ease, then what if I just get into a state of ease? That was the first thing I thought. My strategy is to get into a state of ease in my body, my mind, and my soul. What do I need to do that? And that's when it just clicked. It just was like a huge, massive divine light bulb. And I remember it like hit me. I was in Cambodia at the time with my wife. We were still kind of figuring out a divorce. And it just hit me. I was lying on the deck, just lying down the same somatic technique I use now with my clients. And I just surrendered for hours a day. I wouldn't even call it a meditation. It's like you kinesthetically surrender the muscles, the molecules, the breath until your body's beyond a state of ease and you feel a kinesthetic, you feel source energy, you feel that kinetic pulse. Oneness. The oneness, the one consciousness that people usually feel if they're on drugs or psilocybin or MDMA, etc. Yeah, and then I just, eight months later, I started to recede, started to go back. You said when you wrote in that you heard something intuitively and you saw books on a coffee table that were related to healing. So there was that a different moment where you heard that voice and you experienced that as well. It sounds like you were kind of given multiple insights, so to speak, when you were talking to your doctor, when you were in Cambodia, those sort of things. Can you talk a little bit about that? Oh, yeah. The stories I just told right now is like, that was before that. So that was like... Oh, okay. Sorry to get ahead. <laughs> no, no, no. I probably started too early too. I started like really early in the story. No, but that's why it's called a psychic story. This is your <laughs> so story, <laughs> Phil. This is what the episode's all about. So take as much time as you want. <laughs> so the timeline of what I talked about was around 2010 to 2012, 13, give or take. Then that first light bulb was more around what to do in my body. That was kind of like an inner connection to some divine knowing that just was like so super sharp and clear. Then after I really re-regulated my hormones and healed the disease in me, we got a divorce. It was extremely crazy and violent. Mother-in-law passed away already. The family, we all kind of went ballistic. She had a brother and a father. We loved each other dearly, but I just, I took the Jack Russell there. Like no one else could keep the dog. I'm like, I'll take the dog, I guess. Like no one felt regulated enough to take care of a dog. I was the only one who was like, okay, I'll do it. Sure. So I took which who I loved, spent so many years with that Jack Russell, loved her. She passed away last year. Mila, hi. Hi, Mila. Other divine guide. And um, yeah, around 2015, the story that you just brought up was then I moved into a new loft to start a brand new life in Red Hook, Brooklyn. It was like my dream loft. It was like, I don't even know if they have these lofts in New York anymore. It was like 20-foot ceilings, 20-foot window, huge two floors, loft for a good price, not like some expensive condo. And uh, when I moved into that loft, I found one black raven feather at that time. And that's the only thing that was in there. And at the time, logically, I'm like, well, I guess the previous owner or, you know, left it there. Or, yeah. <laughs> okay, fine. But I'm still like, it was like a massive feather. It was like, I don't know, 20 inches or something like that. Well, maybe not a raven. It was like, I forget the bird I thought it was, but it was a big feather. And I was just like, okay, that's odd. And I was spiritual. So I was like, what is that? And I just got tingles when I saw it. 
And at the time, I didn't commit to this healing path yet. I was studying a bit of this stuff in Reiki, but I was I went back into fashion because I'm like, screw it, I'll just go make money. Yeah, because you were like, I need to catch up. I need to catch up. Yeah, so I, I went back into fashion, starting getting big gigs again, so I'm getting paid a lot of money. And I was starting to get, I won't say I was starting to get sick again, but my eyes started to flutter. I was still stressed. And at that time, it was like 2015 summer. My birthday is July 20th. I had a few friends and even my ex-wife send me books. Three or four of my dear friends mailed me books without them even knowing that they were each sending me a book on healing modalities and spirituality because I was getting really deep into it. One was on specifically the founder of Reiki. One was on, I'm actually blanking out what they were. A few of them were on um, traditional Eastern yogas, not the way we know yoga in the West, but like Nana yoga, Raja yoga, like mentalism, like the source of true yoga, mental and body mind practices and um, some very deep books on healing. And for whatever reason, the week after my birthday, before August, I just started to lay the books out on my coffee table. Like there were nine of them. And I don't know why I did that. I'm like, let's see what books I have. And I went, I was also <laughs> upstate at a bookstore and bought a few more. And I laid them all out on my coffee table. I'm like, okay, they're here. I don't know why. Left them there for a week. Then around August 3rd, or on August 3rd, 2015, I'll remember this day for the rest of my life. I went upstairs to sleep. I didn't feel steady enough to sleep, stable, rested. I went downstairs and I was like, let's find the feather. The feather, by the way, I, all that time I was building out the loft, building out an office, building out the kitchen. And I like stored the feather in my storage room on a shelf. I went to go find it. I nailed it above the bed being like a decorative piece. I'm like, let's have hang a big feather there. It was on a regular steel nail. The nail still, I was like, not satisfied with the nail. I was a designer. I'm like, I need a copper nail for some reason. Then I had copper nails because I was building some furniture with copper nails. I'm into that kind of stuff. And then I went to get a copper nail, renailed it with a copper nail. I'm like, feels good now. Hung with a little black string, raven feather. I go to sleep. I wake up with sweats in a vision that was kinesthetic. It was visceral. It wasn't even like a vision or a dream. I was like 45 degrees on an angle off the ground with wings behind my back. And there was like, before that, a huge hand on my back to wake me up. And I just felt like wings, like floating, like literally like flying about in so much wind. And I just freaked out. I was like, what is that? And then I almost like came back to, like I was in another dimension, was in my body and my heart was racing. And I just was like, what the f was that? I've never had an experience like that in my life. And I've had dreams. I've attempted to astral project when I was younger. But at that stage, you know, 2015, I never had a visceral, it was clear audience, clear. The whole thing was like intense and, and visual. I was so scared. I ran downstairs and was like, I'm sleeping on the couch. I can't sleep. <laughs> and then before I ran downstairs, I've never been religious or into angels, even though I grew up Roman Catholic. I've never been the guy that's into angels at all. And I just, I don't even know who the angels are at that point. And before I got out of bed to run downstairs, I'm like, Angel Gabriel? Why did I say that? And I said that out loud. I was like, is that Angel Gabriel? And then I pick up my phone. I Google Angel Gabriel. I'm like, who's Angel Gabriel? And Angel Gabriel is known to have a copper halo. And then I was like, mother of God. <laughs> <laughs> copper and copper the wing. And the yeah, wing. Or the feather. And, then I, and I, I hung it on a copper nail. And I'm just like, 
even now I'm getting goosebumps. It's like mm, I got chills when you were telling that. Yes. It was intense. And then I go back down. And it's the angel of communication as well. Yes. And the throat chakra, communication, mm-hmm. feeling hindered and expressing myself creatively, even though I was in a creative field. I go back downstairs. I sleep on the couch. I'm like, screw it. I'm not sleeping in bed. I'm too scared, too freaked out. Another vision. Like, then it's this vision of God. It was so cliche with Superman flying towards me with like Morgan Freeman's head because Morgan Freeman used to play God. <laughs> and I just have to ask you, we're not taking in a hallucinogenics. This is no, all natural. I, this is all natural. That's so insane. Wow. No amazing. psilocybin, no hallucinogenics. Then like Superman's flying towards me. And then essentially this clear audience voice just says to me, if you don't live up to your potential, you will regret it. Here, let me help you. Here's a head start. Then boom, flash of light. I wake up. I'm on my couch. I look at my coffee table, nine books of healing modalities. And then it just hits me like, oh, I'm supposed to teach this. <laughs> and it was like a big slap in the face of like, you're at the time, how old was I? 33-ish. They're like, time's running out. You're going to... You're going to get started now. It's going to be a long road ahead. Get started. Wow. And then that's when I just I just committed. My Instagram to that day, you can't go back that far. It's too far. I could archive stuff since then. But the same Instagram I have now, I was like posting fashion stuff, Vogue, digital animation, all the stuff I was doing, you know, superficial stuff. The next one's the feather. <laughs> exactly. It literally was yeah. the feather. And I start posting stuff that I just, I didn't even read the books, to be honest with you. I didn't read any of those books. I just started channeling stuff. And then my feed is all the spiritual stuff that I still talk about to this day. And my friends literally were like, Phil? What happened? <laughs> what happened? What's Phil, what's Phil doing? What's he talking about? Has he lost it? Yeah. yeah. They all mm-hmm, thought I mm-hmm. lost it. Wow. So you just, from the moment of receiving that message, it was because I've had not quite the dream experience that you have, but those clairaudient moments where it's intense. It's like it is designed to get your attention and to make sure that there is no question about what you're hearing or experiencing. And anyone else that you tell and hasn't had an experience like that is, okay, whatever. But when you have one, it's like you said, there's no going back. So what did you do with work and how did you start to build your practice? What did that look like? It was, yeah, it was undeniable. You can deny a dream. You're like, did I have that dream? What was the dream about? I'm not sure. Kind of this? Okay, sure. Mm -hmm. This was like, I wrote it down. I still have it in my Mm -hmm. notes to this day, like word for word, like what I visually saw, what the clear audience experienced, what it said to me, consciousness, God, life force, source, whatever we call it. It was clear. It was clear. My consciousness, whatever. It's all one anyway. And at the time, I was already studying Reiki. And I I can't remember, to be honest with you, if I already got my Reiki master's at that time. Like I was studying it for a good year and a bit because I was getting after it was my psychologist at the time before then a couple years before my divorce, my therapist in New York City, she recommended Reiki to me. She was very spiritual too, which I bless her. Dr. Ford, I love you to this day. She was like putting her hands over her eyes and her ears and was like, you should try Reiki. I think you'd be into it. I didn't know what it was. And I was like, what are you doing with your hands? What do you, what is this? She's like, Reiki. That's amazing. You had a doctor that shared that with you because. Yeah, that's right. Dr. Ford, I love you. Even now it can be hard to find them. Yeah. Yeah. I have so much respect for her at the time. She was like, no, you're into this kind of stuff. I can see you're healing. You should go into this. And she kept putting her hands over her eyes and ears. And I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> I don't understand. And um, at that time, after I had that experience, I just went deep in. One of the first things I did is I renovated my workout area. I had a separate workout area. 
and calisthenics area. I just wiped it out, put a nice rug, put some nice shelving, got paintings of feathers <laughs> on the feather there, put my Reiki certificates there. I start to study Indian sound healing, like Southeast Asian sound healing, Tibetan singing bowls with a master I found through another friend, very notable, and uh, Satya Brat at the time, that was his name. And I uh, started studying the singing bowls and the frequencies and just started to dive into the quantum, like what's happening in the brain. And I was obsessed. I was started giving away free sessions that year, just free. It was like 100 people, I think. I, I gave away free sessions. I'm like, I need to feel what is happening here. To experience it and learn as you go. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't willing to like charge or go on social. I didn't promote myself on social media at all. No one really knew except for my network. I, I had a big network in New York City and people... Once friends and friends of friends and especially friends of friends found out that Philip healed or I'll say you know, healed, re-regulated my Graves ophthalmopathy disease. And um, my friends saw it like they were like, Phil's cross it. Phil's not cross it anymore. What the? F how'd you do that? I just started getting clients. I want to talk about that. So you started diving in and then working on people, but talk a little bit about how you healed yourself through that too. I don't want to skip over that. You started where you were going from a state of disease to ease and then the somatic part, and that was in 2010. Then in 2015, you had this experience, you know, on August 3rd where you heard, and then you changed and pivoted your direction with your everyday practice and more to help other people as well. So when was that healing for you with the Graves disease? What did that look like? So that was more around 2012. Okay. 2010, I was diagnosed officially with Graves, Graves ophthalmopathy, endocrinology reports, etc. 2011, 12, I started to dive into the healing. 2012, 13, the eyes started to recede back in my head. They're still sticking, bulging out, maybe a millimeter or two. I did have them measured like a few years ago as to like where they should be in my eye sockets, but it's not six or seven anymore. And I'm definitely not cross-eyed. So I'm very happy still. That was before 2015, 2012-ish. I just started committing to that somatic surrendering practice. That's what led me to Reiki. I started the somatic work on my own in a deep state of kinesthetic meditation. Then my therapist recommended, I forget the year, 13-ish. Yeah, <laughs> it's around then. Around then, recommended that I try Reiki. I tried Reiki. I met a friend there, Karen Reitz, who's still the only practitioner I go to. She's, I love her to death. She's, we studied at the same time for years. We're so committed to like learning it from different teachers, reading about it, studying other modalities like sound healing, really digging into the why, how, not just hands-on Reiki on, which I thought was too simple. I'm like, no, that's not enough. Like I have to be activating something. How do I do that? Then I started diving into really how I healed myself. My eyes were receding because my body was getting more into a state of ease. And I just discovered that if I released the tension in my cells, through a somatic practice, then if, it's hard to show, it's obviously on audio, but my fists are, are clenched right now. Imagine your cells over decades of conditioning and trauma, just literally vibrating at so much friction, like a snowball, just like friction, friction, every decade, more friction, because you're living in disease. That is literally suppressing the DNA and the telomeres and the chromosomes. And triggering things. And triggering things. And in creating imbalances in your hormones and your different glands in your body. The thyroid is your gland. It's the throat chakra, but it's a gland that releases hormones either in an imbalanced or a balanced way based on your emotional state, mm -hmm. which in the East, we know that as chakras. So pineal gland, pituitary gland, 
throat, thyroid, heart, adrenals, gonads. All of these are glands that cater to the seven chakras in the body that address different hormones. And we know that now with modern science. When I just release tension in my body, then the energy that's inside of the cell has less friction. So it can just do its job. It's why and you can start to entrain a different frequency of ease into the cells, which can begin the healing process. I also discovered around that time that it wasn't just Reiki. They don't describe this in Reiki, which is where I find Reiki teachings just a bit too shallow in general. That's my opinion. There is a gap. Yeah. There's a gap <laughs> of like, well, how? Not one Reiki teacher taught me the how. None of them knew. I was one of the few in my region who were like, Philip knows how. Talk to him. He, like, I just studied it. Two things are happening in an energy practice. Three, actually. Number one, somatic. Your body's getting to a state of ease. The cells are easing up, allowing the energy, life force, God to do its job because now it's not suppressed with conditioning and friction. That's the vibration of oneness, essentially. Exactly. Living in the vibration of oneness opens up the cell for blessing after blessing to be, you know, surrender your will to God mm -hmm. and blessing after blessing will be provided to you. That's what's happening. You're surrendering your will, your cells open up, you're washed and flooded, your sins, your missteps are washed away with life force, God. It's cleansing the DNA because it's able to. Boom. Beginning of healing. Step one. Step two, your brain can get from a beta, alpha, theta, delta brainwave state. Beta is when you're normal and awake, like right now. High beta is when you're stressed and you're just like frenetic energy. Alpha is the beginning of a meditative state where most meditators get to. It's not too deep. Theta delta is when you're in a deeper meditative state, potentially unconscious consciousness, like that in-between state. Theta is when your immune system is activated. Your followers maybe have heard of theta healing. Mm -hmm. Reiki is technically getting you into a theta state with the help of entrainment from the practitioner as well. I'll get into that in a minute. But getting into a theta state in your brain is what actually activates the immune system linked to your gut. Boom. That's the activation that people talk about. That's the activation where they feel it in their third eye. That's technically what's happening. Like biochemically, you're now surrendering the body, opening up the cells, allowing life force to cleanse the DNA, dropping the brain from a beta alpha into a theta. Theta activates the immune system, more healing. Boom. You do that consistently for weeks to months. That's what's technically healing you. That connection to what we call life force God. The third thing in a Reiki practice is now with a practitioner, they're in training their frequency in their heart at a different, more loving, let's say, whole frequency than yours. By proximity, their heart frequency, their heart-mind coherence is literally in training your frequency in proximity. And also you can do this, of course, with distance Reiki through intention, but you're, you're in training the frequency and helping the person reduce their brain waves, dive into that heart frequency and regulate their own body. That's amazing. So I haven't heard anyone explain it that way. So thank you very much. I'm a Reiki master as well. And I always have thought of that third step as, you know, when they say for the practitioner to get out of the way. So your ego, you step all that aside and you're a healing tool and vessel for God or life source energy to allow, I guess, those frequencies and vibrations. It's not really going through you as much as I always imagined it as holding space and amplifying all of the things that were just happening. So that's how I would visualize it in my mind's eye, but the way you explained it makes a lot more sense. Well, that's true. They're both linked. So they're directly mm -hmm. linked. For example, it's the same thing in my somatic practice. We're doing the same thing. We're laying down. Mm -hmm. You have to surrender your will. You're surrendering your ego. 
it's not even about me meditating. It's not about me healing or getting into one state. It's, it can't be about that. I have to surrender, let go, surrender. In your language, you know, detach, get away, remove my ego. Same thing. We're doing, we're surrendering our will and our ego to allow life force source to either, again, perspective, be a vessel through us, or frankly, it's one. We're engulfing our heart and immersing ourselves in oneness, mm -hmm. where we are no longer there. And when you do that, even HeartMath has studied this, begun to study this last decade or so, HeartMath Institute, and I'm going to be doing this with my own institute in the next, I'm dedicating my life to this with my own academy that I'm launching next year. We're going to be studying this. My assistant coach is also studying neuroscience. I love this. Oh my gosh, I'm going to be so in. <laughs> We're diving deep into really studying the magnetic nature of your electromagnetic field and how that's amplified in a kinesthetic meditation, Reiki practice, all of it. We are going to, I'm committing the rest of my life to studying this. And your biofield energy grows the more you connect to oneness, which can also be linked to a gamma epsilon meditative state in the brain, which is really hard to get into for most people. It's like wow. expert meditators. I've measured it with EEG machines with myself and my clients. We get into peak gamma epsilon waves. Epsilon's harder to measure with some instruments, but we definitely get into theta, delta, gamma waves, which is above beta. That's when you hit that one consciousness state and you're, you don't even feel your body. You've dissolved your body. You're in one. That, for a Reiki master, when, you know, when we activate that to any degree, obviously, in percentage ourselves in that daily or practice with a client, that's in training just through sound frequency. Like it's in training the frequency of the person that we're with or the, even with distance Reiki with the intention you have towards the person you're working with. So that entrainment is really important in how it, it allows that person to surrender more into themselves. Mm -hmm. So they surrender their brainwaves, they surrender their muscles, they surrender their will. Your entrainment helps catalyze that for them if people need assistance. The only difference is now for me, I technically teach that. I just don't call it Reiki. I don't call it distance Reiki because for me and my clients, I want to remove any identity. The definitions of things, yes. Because I find there's nothing wrong with it. It's cultural, so it needs to happen. But for me, I know I'm here to help more people understand what this is. And if you start labeling it, yes, Christians aren't going to be into it. Catholics aren't going to be into it. People who study other modalities aren't going to be into it. Only people who are into Reiki will be into it. And then I feel it's limiting in general. Mm -hmm. yeah. So as I define and broaden the definition, take it out, I find more people into it. And this is more of an ego thing, but for me, it does drive me batty when you look into even Reiki and there's so many subsections of Reiki. <laughs> fire Reiki. All of it. Yeah. Fire Reiki, Angel Reiki, all of it. It's just, and then more and more practitioners defining and almost branding their own version of that when in reality, what you said is it's connecting to that oneness, that source, that energy. And also why I think we say to people, I didn't heal you, you healed yourself. But it is also the power of the connection and the group and the amplification of it brings in that energy and makes yeah. it so much more flowing through us and real, which kind of ties into the reality <laughs> where I want to get into that a little bit. So I know that's a big question and our remaining time here, but from your perspective, what is reality? And, you know, we talked a little bit about that before we hit record, but I really loved how you were explaining the hands and where we are and what possibilities are. Oh, destiny. Yes. I'm going to hand that over to you because it ties also as well to your trauma, your 
experience and how you walked through your life and showed how healing yourself and others is possible. Let's start here. Your reality in the beginning is based on your program. That's reality. So, for example, I didn't grow up with your life. I can't have your life. There's frankly no way that I can move my intention vibration, at least yet, you know, <laughs> into Nicole's life right now and experience your algorithm. It's all an algorithm. Your DNA is programmed through your parents' conditioning, grandparents, collective, cultural, where you grew up, societal. The lineage DNA. Mm -hmm. The lineage, exactly. I have, in, in human form, my Arab history goes all the way back. It's pretty direct. My Filipino one, it's mixed. There's like Spanish and Portuguese and African in there. It's like it goes from all over and, and Asian and Japanese in there. It's, you know, the Philippines. So number one, your destiny and your reality is based on your programming and your conditioning. Now, when we talk about our reality from a quantum level, an energetic level, it's also obviously that informs the program, informs your perception of yourself, of your life of other people and your identity in the world and what you create. My trauma, my insecurity created a direction in fashion. Boom. Created dissonance eventually because it was based on a false identity that wasn't whole, that didn't feel healed, and then disease starts. Boom. Reality. But you could actually say that that was my destiny once I chose to even get into fashion. And even beyond my choice of fashion, architecture, or even psychology, I would even argue that regardless, I would have gone through trauma because I still grew up with a schizophrenic homeless father with a lot of violence. And when you grow up like that, it's already skewing you in the direction. The way my parents interacted, how they spoke, how they related to each other programmed me. And it's all an energetic programming. And it's learned too. It's learned. It's environmental and it's learned. It's conditioned as well. And when you can understand that it, your reality is programmed, now let's dive into the quantum. It's energetically programmed, right? There's a programming within the quantum DNA, even within the atomic particles that are cohesively binding together and intelligence somehow knowing to bind together and create these quantum sacred geometry structures that bind into molecules, that bind into oxygen, that bind into carbon, that bind into your hair, that bind into your personality. And you're like, whoa. If you were to do an exploded diagram of that quantumly, you're like nothing but geometric patterns and vibrations. Now you look at your reality from that lens. What's my reality? Can I be any reality within that quantum truth? And here's where I kind of argue against some teachers or practitioners are like, you can create any reality you want. I still say no. You're programmed. So it's like a pie chart. I could create, like my hand is in a V right now. Just imagine like a V. When you're born, you have the potential to create, like, let's just say, a pretty wide range of a life, but it's still limited. I can't create the full 360-degree circle, meaning I can't be born from my parents in my region in Canada with their upbringing and their conditioning, their DNA, and have Nicole's life. I can't do that. So it's not unlimited. It's limited. But now my conditioning starts to narrow that V. The choices I make, the choices I'm conditioned to make, the trauma bond relationships, I've had many of them, frankly, until now, because of the violent childhood and the relationship between my parents that weren't healthy at all. Now my reality is based more on my programming, not my choices. My choices are even conditioned programming until I wake up. I say that when we wake up from this matrix, when we have our awakening, to me, that's like all that means is now you have the keys to recondition your programming but you're still not completely free because you're still in the program. 
Yes. <laughs> I love I love how you just said wake up because I was feeling led to go there and you took the words out of my mouth. So yeah. that's perfect. Yes. You're not free. You're still in the movie. You're still in the matrix. Yeah. Yeah. When people are like, I'm out of the matrix, I'm like, no, you're still in the bigger matrix that that matrix was in. Like red pill or blue pill. Doesn't matter mm-hmm. who made the pills. <laughs> like how were the pills even programmed blue or red? You get to see like meta. Like mm-hmm. everyone stops at the red or blue pill. I'm like the pills exist within a whole programmed existence. So now my reality when I wake up is broader. I can go back now to the original V of like, oh. This is your potential, essentially. Now I have more. I could look at the whole V and now I could be like, oh, instead of going like 32 degrees to the left, northwest, you know, whatever, like that one line, I have more timelines available to me. Which one do I want? Which one is my highest, meaning my most fulfilling one. That's what we mean by highest. And purpose when people ask for that. Purposeful, impactful, helping humanity, living your dream. What does that feel like? How can I manifest that? And that's when it becomes more about in my work and in our work and energy work, the way I describe it, I don't do affirmations or visualizations personally. We don't look into anyone's future at all in my work, like zero. All we do is number one, reductively strip away the old program, step one. Then we can have a blanker slate to the original V to now create a new reality. But we're not creating a new reality yet until we begin to strip a good Mm. portion of that programming away because it's like trying to program in a full hard drive that's corrupted. Good luck. You got to wipe it clean in order to start. You got to wipe it clean. That's why energy work is so important in the beginning to start to wipe it clean because you can start to strip it away. Then your reality at that stage, once you start to strip it away, uh, in my work, you don't have to think of your intention anymore of what you want. Your heart will naturally emanate true frequencies that are more aligned with your highest destiny because it's clearer. Your original programming will now show through of your potentials. Like the original programming is there. Then it's whatever arises naturally. And once we strip that away, what's the next lily pad? You strip that away, another sign comes up. You strip that away, or the direction's laid out for me. You strip that away, oh wow, I have solutions and teachings and mentors to help me with this. You strip it away, books are given to you. It's just like you strip it away and you're like, oh man, the yellow brick road's like already here. You're in that state of oneness and being more often and frequently so that you're not having to... Exactly. You're not having to actually, oddly enough, at that point, reality is you don't even have much choice. Like, I don't feel like I actually have much choice the cleaner my heart gets, the more work I do to just productively strip it away. And I still do short immersions every day. And longer immersions is what I call them, like every day and every week. And I'm just removing the tension and the friction, amplifying from there, and then it just gets magnetic. And then boom, lily pad after lily pad is presented to me. My reality at that point is God-given destiny. Love the way you explained that. I am feeling led to also ask about then consciousness. So when you said awakened state, because the way I remember it from when I was younger, I must have been, I don't know, maybe five or six. And I remember walking and having this really outside, it was a sidewalk. And I remember having this really surreal moment. And maybe it's the natural way of how our brains operate and think. And we start to create our personalities and have those experiences, but thinking, this is really weird. I'm in this body. I'm having this experience. No one else can have this experience the way I'm seeing it and experiencing it. It was a surreal moment. Looking back on it, I feel that that was consciousness. That was awakening. That was allowing me to see the 
quote unquote reality for what it was, but then also those heightened states of consciousness and awareness and spiritual awakening as we have them many more moments as we grow and, and evolve. What is that consciousness then? Is that part of our soul? Mm. You know, how would you explain that? Uh, not just my experience, I mean, but ultimately, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. It's like clicks in your brain and you're you're present and you just acknowledge and are aware of everything around you. So I, I did a post about this recently, just a question, because in my work, the deeper and deeper I get, the more I feel we don't have souls okay. that are separate from us. Here's a concept, just for your listeners. It's a concept, a question. I'm not making any like claims that this is a, frankly... No, I love this, please. But... A soul comes from the idea that there's an energetic entity outside of you that then, as we know it, of course, in, in the spiritual path, that it's not so much that we have a human body with a soul, it's that the soul is inhabiting and energetically creating an experience. The soul is living a human experience, and that's decades of spirituality and even after the New Age. But if we really dive into not just conceptually oneness, and the only time I could understand this myself is when I'm actually in the kinesthetic practice, when you take away the mind and you're immersed in one, you realize that everything is one, meaning there's nothing outside, literally. I look at consciousness as the grains of sand that make up everything within one, and each sand grain is intelligent. Like the drop of water within the ocean type Exactly. Of thing. The drop mm -hmm. of water is not a soul inside the ocean. The drop of water is just a, a manifestation that happens when you change the environmental structure, right? And it comes out, and you're like, oh, drop of water, but it's still part of the ocean, you know? And that's what I look at as our, what we perceive as our soul. It's not really a separate thing. It's intelligence. I call it life's intelligence, consciousness. It's constructing everything at once. Like literally in a now moment, everything in the universe that we perceive as everything is constructed. It's already created. And if you can look at that, and we even speak about that now in quantum science of like oneness and how there is no time and time's a perception and time is the fourth dimension of movement within the three dimensions of time and then put them together with space. The three directions of space, the fourth dimension of time, that's movement in the three directions of space, now create the perception of time because I'm moving. And my voice took time to get from here to you. You could distinguish manifestation. I'm getting really meta here. Hopefully it makes sense. No, it is. I'm, I'm following. It's blowing my mind, but I'm following. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's like you're in this fourth dimension construct of time that is movement of energy in motion within three areas of space. Now we can construct things. But even the construct of time-space lives within one. Mm -hmm. Even beyond of what we think of as up, down, left, right constructs of space, time, movement of energy and motion within space is a construct within one that is not within. When you think of that, it's not so much that we have a soul that's constructed within consciousness or God, life force, the universe. The universe is still limiting, like the multi, like everything, the all. I, I prefer the all. Okay, I love that. I haven't heard that before. The all means, when I refer to God, I refer to all, because it encompasses, it's the eternal all. Every single thing. Like eternity doesn't even have time. Eternity is without time. That's why it's eternal. Time is a construct of movement within eternity, right? Is there a soul or is every grain of sand just kind of like creating a moon, creating the void of space? creating an asteroid, creating you, creating your hair follicles. It's just creating now within infinite creative platform that's eternal. Is there a soul or is every grain of sand intelligent? Then what's the consciousness? 
Consciousness is just the intelligence within the grains of sand, the expression. Consciousness is the program of the grains of sand. And when you connect more, and when you disconnect from your ego or your perception of your solid body, because even in, in my somatic practice, in our heightened states, you dissolve your perception of your body because now you're, you're literally surrendering your will so much that the vibration of your body disappears. You're now in the consciousness that is making up the grains of sand, that is making up your cells. And even if you look at your body quantumly, 99.9999% of you is made up of that void of space. Mm -hmm. So most of you isn't even solid, quote unquote, to begin with. Yes. Hence the question, what is reality? <laughs> what is reality? When none yeah. <laughs> of you is, so, even your matter has been redefined. Matter doesn't exist. Matter is our perception of solid matter, like my hands right now, is vibrational frequencies vibrating at such a density and speed and through different coherent frequencies and quantum vibrational constructs and geometries create the appearance and or sound perception or felt of something physical. But 99.9999999% of you is just the same space and outer space that is the intelligence of life. It's made of the intelligence of life. Ah. So consciousness to me, when we dive into a Reiki practice, a meditative practice, a one consciousness practice, you're dissolving your perception of the human experience, diving now into the quantum oneness, the grains of sand, it's all intelligence. It's that interconnection. Yes. We feel separate, right? That's why there's always that saying of you're never separate. So when we say to connect, yes. we're still connected. But what you're saying is that we're dissolving that appearance or that perceived reality, which isn't necessarily our reality, in order to reconnect or get in that state where we're back to that oneness. Yes. And the more we can do that with whatever you call it, frequency, vibration, whatever that is, that state of being... That gets us back to it. And the reason I asked the question too was a while back, I had this thought and I asked my spirit team, my guides and angels, I know you're not this big angel guy per se, but they gave me this concept of oneness and life force or all is that God, if you want to use that term, it splinters off into these souls or these this consciousness. So maybe we don't use the word soul in order for the experience to have it. And that's why those individual grains of sand are individualized, but we're still part of that larger beach or ocean wave or that construct, so to speak, is to be able to, I guess, experience life and the different realities. And I'm using air quotes here. Yes? Yeah. Is that the purpose of it? <laughs> well, I feel like separation is life, mm -hmm. right? Because even if you think of the void of space and vibrational particles, okay, let's get really deep into this. Even think of something vibrating within the void of space. That is intelligent. Even calling it a void is not correct, but let's just call it the void. The emptiness of what we consider empty is actually quite pregnant and full of life. Obviously, it's creating life. But for something to vibrate within space, it's already separating. Yes. Even the toroidal field, you know, the swastika that was unfortunately appropriated by Germans? Yeah, I know the symbol, but I don't know the history about it. The original history of it that Hitler appropriated was actually a toroidal field symbol of the beginning of life, the spinning of life. And it's, it's why it, has like, it looks like a helicopter, the swastika. Almost like a propeller. Propeller. It's a propeller. And in my deep, 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 deep meditations, I saw it. I felt it. I was like, it was like in my face. It was like, you're like in it. You're kinesthetically, the body's gone. You're in the toroidal field and all you see is the swastika and you're just like, and I wasn't on psilocybin. This is on my like self-induced practice. And then you understand where that symbol comes from. And 
I also understand how they saw it without any quantum tools or, or you know, microscopic instruments. They saw it because I felt it in my clients. Like we can feel it ourselves when we're in the deepest of practices. You dissolve your body, you're in the toroidal field. You're in creation itself. You are it. And the very moment it starts to spin, that's why it's the beginning of separation. Because something starts to spin within everything. The something becomes something. It is now something. It is now separate. That is the original sin. Sin meaning misstep, meaning you need cause and effect separation to separate from what we perceive as God. Then that separation starts to create different levels and degrees within it because it can. That's the whole point of cause and effect and separation. I now can create universes. I can create galaxies. I can create different dimensional experiences within each, the 12D, 5D, 3D, everything, 4D. So in that regard, yeah, there's a soul that is an entity within the all, within a dimension that we define it. And those are like the creative levels and steps of creation to then get to a material realm or gradations. It's not that I think soul is wrong. I think like we just explained it right now. That's where the concept of soul comes from. Makes sense. Absolutely. For me and my work, it's always just about let's take away everything, get to one. Yes. I want no stories, no illusions, no definitions, because that gets my clients and the people I know. We get deeper into it when we start to remove them. Mm -hmm. We start to create constructs or only stick to the angels as guides in my work. I know I obviously speak to angels. I did. But when I remove it, they even clap for me. They're like, oh, you don't need us. They, they say that to me too. They're like, why do you have to name us? Why are yeah. there all these things? They're like, you guys just want to define everything and call it something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And they, they've called that to me too. Like I did that last summer when I was in ceremony. I was asking for their guidance again. And I wrote it down in, in one of my notebooks. And I actually told myself or they told me in the channeled message, you don't need us. That's why you're not experiencing this anymore. Do it on your own. Period. That's the ascension. You've ascended, my dear. Yeah. And that's when my practice, my gamma, what I label now, I, I name it just for human purposes so people know what I'm talking about. The practice that I call Gamma Sun is that practice of ultimate surrender. No music tracks, no guidance from me. The whole program for eight weeks is for me to teach you how to self-induce yourself where eventually after week six, you're not even listening to me on the call. We're sitting there for one hour and I'm just looking at everyone on Zoom. Whoa. <laughs> I'm like, everyone lie down. We've been doing this for six weeks. Go to it one hour. I might, I might even stay longer. I might even cut it off at 10 minutes. No expectation, no judgment, no future, no intention, no nothing, no angel, no soul, no nothing. You go deeper, quicker, period. Because you're completely unattached to anything. Wow. Very cool. Does that make sense? Hopefully it does. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I feel like I need to, I feel like I need to take your class and we need, well, I could talk to you for hours, but I want to be respectful of your time. So this is awesome. Okay. So we talked about souls that totally makes sense. The consciousness. Thank you for answering that. I think we talked about angels a little bit more too, because I was actually going to say, so you had that one experience, what happened, but it sounds like you've reached a certain point where yes, you can still tap in and connect with them, but for the most part, or communicate, I should say, for the most part, you're using your own inner guidance and all of that. I do want to talk briefly about the higher self then. Is this just like another definition slash term that we put on things? Oh, yeah. It's another one I love, like soul. 
<laughs> yes. Yeah. And, and the reason I also ask is because I've been asking myself these questions as well. And I do feel they're still, so for example, when I'm connected to my higher self or when I say centered and aligned, that does feel like that, let's just call, use these words. I know we don't necessarily like using, but individual or like my soul self, it feels familiar. It feels like I'm aligned with that purpose and I'm heading in certain directions. There's that, again, that centeredness and connectedness. So I've kind of seen higher self as having a view of all of myself in different time, spaces, dimensions, realities, and having almost like that conscious level awareness. Maybe I, I only consciously am experiencing it in this lifetime, but my higher self is experiencing it all. And that's connected to the all and all of that. Am I explaining that from like your perspective? Is that your same experience or how would you maybe describe if it even exists, the higher self? From the way you described it, I feel is the way everyone experiences it. So I'd say, yes, it's uh, it's the way we experience it. Dimensions. Again, it goes back to the grains of sand. For there to even be grains of sand and a beach within the all, there's already separation, which means... It's like my higher self is the lifeguard of the beach, essentially. Like it sees all the grains. Exactly. Or the sky that's above the beach. Yeah. Even though I kind of trash talk a bit labels on my feed, <laughs> like I'll be like, what's the soul? I'll ask people questions. What's your higher self? Let's just ask. Here's my perspective of it. That's a stage. That's already a higher evolutionary stage than an unconscious human when you and I were both unawake, right? So it's almost kind of like your ego. You have your ego, you have your higher self. It's a stage of your experiences. But if we're really going to bring back one consciousness into this now moment, then let's like, even for your, your listeners right now, let's do this if you don't mind. Like, let's take a long, slow, deep breath. Mm -hmm. Plant your feet firmly on the ground if you're sitting down. I'll just do this quickly. Release the tension in your body. I'm doing it down too. Your feet ground your body into the earth, into this experience. Long, slow, deep breath. Four or five seconds in through the nose and out while I speak. Consider this the meditation. As I release the tension in my body and just become more present with you, Nicole, in this time-space portal, like right here, right now, my connection to what we define as one needs no label or boundary in between it. None. And the work is to energetically amplify and embody that literally right now. Like we're not just talking about it. We're not just saying this. We're doing it. You and I know, especially you and your Reiki practice, we're like, like if I had to describe it with sound, it's like I went from like, jub, 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 to like now I'm like. <sighs> like you're folding your breath into the breath of life. Even in my Gamma Sun practice. We become breathless. It's kind of like the breathless yogi practices that Yogananda and gurus, mm. that's technically what I teach. We get into these breathless states where you feel you're not even alive. You're not even meditating anymore. You don't even exist. And you're not even breathing. You're maybe doing one breath a minute. You're allowing yourself to breathe through the oxygen within you. Then your breath cradles and folds into the one breath of life and you're in one. What's higher? And that stage, nothing is higher. So the reason I ask those questions, even on my Instagram and social feeds, I'm just trying to ask questions, not saying they don't exist. They do at a stage, but now we're evolving. So what do we evolve? What, how do we evolve beyond the labels of higher? What if we bring higher into every moment? We're now in this moment. There is nothing higher. That's what Jesus was teaching. And one of the last clear visual experiences I had where they literally were like, now you don't need us anymore was last summer. 
That was the last one I had, where I went into this deep consciousness state again, deeper than I ever have in my life, connected to Ra Hathor consciousness, Egyptian deities known as also star entities from Sirius. I can get deep into that, but just known as consciousness from another dimension. Ra, the sun god, why I call my practice Gamma Sun, because I hit a gamma brainwave state connected to the sun. And it was visceral connection. Saw Yeshua's face, who was also son of God. I connected the dots for me and my experience. I'm like son of God, Ra, sun god, Jesus. It's the same entity. It's all the same. We could define it through different cultures, different eras, but I'm like, it's the same. And then I got, I'm getting goosebumps now. And in that experience, I went deeper than ever by just, I remember the day I was in, I was in upstate New York. I rented this, this Victorian apartment in a house, a Victorian house, an apartment. And I remember the bed. I remember the sheets. And I just surrendered. This is when I dove into what I'm speaking of today with you. I just surrendered every label. Yeshua's face, Jesus even came to me. And raw Hathor, like raw consciousness. And for the month and a half, two months when I went, I went, I was like doing six hours a day. Long story short, why I even had the time was I stopped my practice, had a traumatic year before that. My mom had a spine tumor. Dad had a stroke, had a very traumatic trauma bond relationship breakup. One of the most traumatic years I've had since my disease in 2010. It was like a last ripple of like... Your last spiritual awakening for sure. Dark night of the soul, we should say. (laughs) Yeah. Again, part five. (laughs) It never ends, you know? And then it literally was like, no, let go more. Let go more. You're defining everything too much. And it was a clear audience, clear visual experience again. And it was like raw Yeshua. Yeshua was even like this, what you're doing right now. That's what I did. Teach this only. Nothing in between you. Nothing. Just get everyone into that state. That's it. Nothing in between. No story, no illusion, not even Jesus's name. Nothing. People got it wrong. It's not even about me. I just got into that state. Get into that state. That's when it just like slapped me all over every molecular cell in my body. Let go of all dimensional states. Let go of desiring to connect. Then like a month later, I'm in ceremony, a bit wonky and insecure because this is just too big for me. I was like, what am I going to do with this? And how do you explain it to people too when you're here? How do you explain it to people? And I went into a meditative state. I used psilocybin for the last time. And I'm like, I need help. And the whole vision was like, no, you don't. You don't get it. Slap. (laughs) It's like, that's the whole point. (laughs) Slap you out of it. Slap me out of it. You need to practice without anything. And that's what you teach. Then it was clear. The missing piece in me teaching this at this level was to take everything out, even the beginning of my guidance, which is why now my method, I tell people, buy my track, fine. My meditation, take my program. Yes, by week six, you mute the thing. I want you to stop. It's like throwing somebody in the deep water. Like, you know how to float, you know how to swim, you know how, great. So you're jumping in the deep water. You remove the crutch and every client that's been able to get into a deeper state than they ever have in their life got to the week that I told them, stop listening to my track. They're like, but I need your voice. No, you don't. I won't go deep enough without it. No, you will. Or yes, you will. Boom. They stop. They're insecure for the first five, six minutes. They're like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And their body, let go, let go. I need Phil. I need his voice. It's, it's so calming and smooth and blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden they're like, but let go, let go. Like, oh, oh, his mother's right. <laughs> then they're out. And then you're like, trust. That's the ultimate trust fall. Then you're in one. 
Oh my goodness. Well, I could talk to you forever. I wouldn't <laughs> ask, but we are going to wrap up. Maybe I can have you back if you're open to it. But any other final thoughts or tips that we have not had a chance to talk about that you're feeling led to share with the listeners? Well, maybe to summarize all that, I feel, because there's a lot of little mini big stories within the big story, ultimately to surrender your will to what we define as God is what every energy practitioner is teaching. And as more advanced practitioners, I will say like you, and I did some research on you, which is why I also wanted to do this with you. You're like, I, I love your energy and vibe. It was just a timing thing why we couldn't do it for a while. But even how you speak now about it, it's really to remove us. Are we healing? Yeah, at a certain point we are. Our frequency is in training and helping the person guide. But ultimately to teach people to surrender on their own or to even tap into psychic powers, to tap into the all, to tap into more states of consciousness, to tap into higher consciousness, and then eventually get to a state where it is truly one and you no longer need higher. You have to surrender your body, your molecules, surrender your will in that practice. Whatever type of energy work you're defining to learn or teach or do or practice right now, surrender your will completely, then dissolve the labels and names in while you're in the practice. You will then experience what every teacher has taught, what every guru has written about, what every ascended master has stood for. You'll experience it for yourself, and then you'll truly embody and begin to understand what it's hard to describe in words, what one really means, and why no labels at that stage are unnecessary. Ah. Oh. Thank you so much for sharing that. And how would you prefer people reach you? Uh, you have your website, Instagram, YouTube. You kept it all easy with your name. Oh, yeah. I was lucky enough to just get Philip Attar on everything. Essentially, yeah. Instagram is probably the easiest place. Everything's there. I'm there most of the time. Uh, so P-H-I-L-I-P-A-T-T-A-R, Philip Attar. The link in bio has all the details there, even to my website, testimonials, my philosophy, et cetera, and programs. But yeah, everything's there. I like to keep it, the work, even the way I describe it and market it now, we're just even distilling it even further now this summer. It's just becoming really clear. We help you get into a state of somatic surrender. You connect to source more deeply than you ever have. You get your body and brain into neurogenesis, like the state of the brain that we talked into a theta delta. You rewire patterns. You connect to consciousness. Your subconscious becomes clear. You start to be more aware in the now moment of your pattern, the left path that you don't want anymore and the right one that you can take. And then you just start creating new life. It actually becomes really simple. It, it's almost like I've had so many clients just say it's absurdly simple. They're almost upset that it was so complicated for their whole lives and decades. <laughs> They're like, why did I not know this before? <laughs> That's the whole point of teachers like you and me right now is that we're here to teach people you have this power. It's simpler than you think. And you can continue on your way. And for people that want to sign up, so you said courses. So do you have like certain types or times during the year that you offer this? I guess people can just go to your website. Uh, this will be dropping in the next couple of days. So if there's anything you also want to plug, uh, just feel free to add that in here. So I have my main program is called Somatic Heart. That's a four-week live workshop where I teach this, how to get, it's a healing program, but it's like the last healing program. I want people to develop sovereignty the goal of this program for someone is not just to heal and overcome some trauma for this this season, this month, this year. I really want them to develop sovereignty where they never want another, need another healing program again. And I mean that, I can say that confidently now. Then they're like, good, they can activate and build a life and ascend from there, no longer looking in their past. 
you can either start with my meditation album. So I have that for like 40 bucks that you can just start. It gives you five tracks with like a couple hours of instructions that teaches you my method on your own. If you just want to kind of try it on your own. If you need a bit more support and want some coaching and live guidance on weekly calls, then Somatic Heart, the four-week live workshop, starts August 5th, 2023. Uh, I have that uh, workshop every two months consistently throughout the year. So if you can't make that one. Then after that, I have my Gamma Sun, the advanced practice, the kind of breathless yogi, eight-week program. But you can't take that program unless you take Somatic Heart. It's just too difficult for people. You need to have like a baseline, yeah. You need to have a baseline. I've tried a few people to try that advance. I'd say I'm confident enough to say it's mastery level at that stage. To take that program and have illusions of what you think meditation is holds you back from going deeper. So people have to really understand how to surrender without any illusions. Then really work with the trauma and the subconscious to then get into deeper states. And then, yeah, they could join Gamma Sun after. And that's it. Simple. Well, I'm definitely going to do it. Not the, I obviously need the foundational element first, but I'd love to be able to work with you. And he's offering a meditation album discount code. So I'm going to include that in the show notes for you guys. 20 off grounded presence. And that'll be live and in operational until Phil tells me to. It's unlimited. It's there. I created that for you guys. So I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Yeah. All right. Well, everyone, this is Philip Attar. I have tried for a long time to have him on. Super happy that he's been able to join us and we'll definitely be having you back. Thank you so much. I appreciate your patience too. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to A Psychic Story. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode and join the conversation on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. All episodes are free on your favorite podcast player or at a psychicstory.com. Have a question? Is there a topic you'd like to hear more about? or have a suggestion for a future guest, send an email to contact at a psychicstory.com or leave a voicemail message at 1-800-880-1881. We'd love to hear from you and you may even be featured on a future episode. If you're interested in booking a session with me, you can do that directly on the website. And if you want to hear even more content hosted by yours truly, check out my other show, Supernatural Matters. Reminder that you are automatically entered to win either a free 20-minute intuitive or energy healing session with me if you leave five stars along with a positive review. Currently, reviews can be left on Apple, Stitcher, Podchaser, or CastBox podcast players. Don't forget to email contact at a psychicstory.com when you do, because it allows me to get in touch with you if your name is pulled in the drawing. Your name stays in until you win.